0: Today we'll be talking of the resurrection. I want to share a poem with you that highlights the importance of Resurrection Sunday and the work that Jesus accomplished when he arose that Sunday morning. Sorry, I don't know the author of the poem, but uh, it's entitled, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's Asleeping, Judas is betraying, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's uh, struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sunday's are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robed Him in scarlet. They crowned Him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping, His body stumbling, and His spirits burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning and evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nail my Savior's hands to the cross. They nail my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king? And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved, but they don't know it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by His Father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save Him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. My King yields His Spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death is won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday, Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday, it is only Friday, Sunday is coming. I hope that poem highlights the importance of Christ's resurrection for you. We want to talk about the importance of christ's resurrection in in at least four ways it's very important to us number one let's think of it in relation to christ's person why is christ's resurrection important to him well think about this if christ didn't rise from the dead then what would that make jesus it would make him a liar He he prophesied several times that, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to mock me, scorn me, I I will be killed, but I will rise again on the third day. So it would have made him a liar. However, the resurrection, of course, authenticates Jesus is a prophet as well as the Son of God. Let's think of it in the importance of Christ's resurrection in relation to Christ's work. If Christ had not arisen from the grave, if he was dead and he had stayed dead, well, what would that mean for us? What would that mean for Jesus? Would Jesus have an ongoing ministry in our lives and for the church today? No, of course he wouldn't. There would be no post-resurrection ministries of Jesus taking place today. And, of course, we know that Jesus is our great high priest. First uh, John says that he is our advocate before the Father. he stands there at the right hand of God the Father. He is the head of the church. His ministry continues today because he arose. But what about the Gospel without the resurrection well there <laughs> the Bible says there is no gospel without the resurrection. Look at first Corinthians fifteen verse three. First Corinthians 15, verse 3 says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance. What is of first importance? What should be of first importance to you? Well, look at this. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So, that Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. You have to have all those aspects. It's also important to us as Christians, if you're a believer, think about this. If Christ didn't rise, then we don't have a witness. Our witness is false. Our faith is without meaning. Our faith is without content. It is without hope. And our prospects of the future are absolutely hopeless. We have no hope of rising from the grave ourselves if Christ is still dead. That's what 1 Corinthians says. Look at verse 13. Well, let's start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only... We are of all people most to be pitied. But we know Christ did rise, didn't we? Uh, It's clear in this passage and others it says so. This is an important matter. Very important. Paul calls it of first importance. So let's talk of the nature of Christ's resurrection. This is something that is highly debated, highly attacked, uh, sadly even amongst people who claim to be Christians. Authors of books and blogs and so forth attack the nature of Christ's resurrection. So let's talk about this. Number one, please understand, my friends, the Bible makes it clear that Christ actually died. Yes, there are people who say He didn't. There are some people who believe that Christ just merely fainted. He merely fainted, so they say. Uh, And they say that Uh, Somehow, when uh, he goes into the tomb, the cool air in that rocky tomb there revived him. So he woke up, and he walked out of the tomb. Well, that's one of the explanations. Of course, that theory is false. And as we studied in Matthew and the other Gospels, make this very, very clear. Let me remind you why this theory is clearly false. Number one, the Bible says Christ appeared to his disciples after his resurrection and notice when he did appear, he didn't appear as some half dead guy who uh, you know has just woken up from from a horrible beating and lots of uh, you know he's, he almost died, but he didn't he's still alive somehow. no he is not presented that way in scripture at all. He is presented as a conquering triumphant victor over death and the grave. He, he could not have made any other impression if he had not truly arisen, and his body was alive. A second truth is that the Roman soldiers pronounced Christ dead. Professional executors, who had experienced this many times, proclaimed Christ to be dead. Remember, Pilate, the Roman governor, said, Is he dead? He was surprised he was, and they said he was. And, And we know he was already dead, because... Unlike the two thieves next to Jesus, they did not break Jesus' legs to hasten death because he was already dead. Another point that could be made is in John 19, where we learn the soldiers pierced the side of Jesus. If he wasn't dead, he would have died after that. (laughs) They pierced through his side into his heart. The Bible says that blood and water came forth, which is a condition that shows that death had taken place. Another point that could also be made is a, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea asked permission to take the dead body of Jesus and bury it. <laughs> and he was wrapped up in all this cloth, all, you know, kilos and kilos of spices put upon him. So Joseph knew he was dead as well. Pilate had heard that Christ had died, and Pilate, you remember, asked that centurion, If Christ was dead in the centurion, that Roman soldier leader proclaimed, yes, he is dead. The women also proclaimed Jesus' death in bringing the spices to anoint a dead body, not a fainted one. They knew he was dead, which is why they were mourning, why they're bringing these spices. So his body was actually dead. Another point we need to to make here is that Christ's body was actually raised from the dead. Again, another highly debated issue today. Was it His Spirit that came forth? Only His Spirit? Or was there actually a bodily resurrection? I hope you believe that, because most Christians do. We read that in the Apostles' Creed. That is one of these truths that believers have believed for centuries. It was a bodily resurrection. So the resurrection of Christ is not just a spiritual resurrection. Uh, Nor were His his appearances to His disciples just a spiritual manifestation. No, those were bodily forms. Jesus' body was there. And the body, by the way, that was laid in the tomb, came forth on that first Easter morning in a bodily form. And, And we know this for several reasons. Okay, Let's talk of some some reasons why this would be true, and and then we'll, we'll talk about why that might be important. But number one, the tomb was empty. A body was put in the tomb, Jesus' body. But Matthew 28, verse 6, clearly states that the tomb was empty. When they came, the women, you know, the apostles, some of the apostles came, they saw an empty tomb. The Roman soldiers also saw an empty tomb, didn't they? Which is why they went and reported this truth. So this truth was testified by many witnesses. By the way, not just the so-called biased ones, like Peter and John. But it was also reported by Jesus' enemies that the tomb was empty. Which, again, just shows us this truth clearly. By the way, how do we account for the empty tomb? Well, again, some people would say that Jesus' body was stolen. Remember, that was the lie that the guys were paid to tell. But that can't be true because the soldiers were paid money to tell a false story. We read about that in Matthew 28. And by the way, normally guards would never be allowed to do that sort of thing. Normally guards would have been killed for not fulfilling their duties. But these guys weren't killed. They were actually paid off to tell a lie. Another thing that's interesting, we've noticed this when we were studying Matthew, is the cloth that would have covered Jesus' dead body was in, in a neat, orderly fashion. When it was seen, they came, no body, but all that cloth there was all nicely, neatly folded up in perfect order. And by the way, think about it. That, that is not what thieves would do, right? If you've ever had anything stolen from your house, uh, I'm curious, how many of you had thieves break in your house at some point? Right, do, do thieves come in and leave your house in a nice, orderly fashion? You know, everything exactly where you had it, or and, and maybe even better? No, they don't, they don't go and wash your dishes and take care of your linen and so forth. They don't do that. They make a mess of the place, don't they? They throw stuff all over the place, making a huge mess. Because that's what thieves do. So this, uh, yet again, just a, another thing, it just shows the silliness and the foolishness of this heresy. Number two is that nobody can steal Christ's soul. (laughs) You can't steal Christ's soul. There had to be a body. If Christ didn't have a body, then why did those officers say they were afraid that his disciples would come by night and steal him away? You don't go and steal his soul. So there's no way they could have stolen Jesus' soul. Number three, those who saw Christ after the resurrection recognized Jesus as having that same body that he had before his death. By the way, there was one difference. Remember the little conversation Jesus had with Thomas? There were scars. Scars in the wrist, the side, the wound in the side from the spear, the, the nails that were driven through the feet. The only thing that was different, well, there was other differences, but as far as the body's concerned, that was a major difference. So people recognized Jesus. It was the same Jesus, the same body, other than those scars. Number four, we, we, we see here in 1 Corinthians 15 that the Apostle Paul also believed in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus. Remember on the road to, to Damascus when his name was Saul at that point? Jesus shows himself to, to Saul He says, you're actually fighting against me, Saul. Jesus saw him. Jesus taught Saul, taught Paul. And if you read this entire chapter, which is all about the resurrection, you firmly come to the belief that Paul believed in the resurrected Jesus. He saw him. Number five, the, the apostle Peter believed in the bodily resurrection of Christ. Remember, he was one of those ones who ran to the tomb. He's one of the ones who proclaimed this truth. He's the one in Acts chapter 2 who is preaching there at Pentecost about this bodily resurrection. Number six, there's a lot of appearances of Christ after the resurrection that proved it was something that was literal. It was a physical resurrection. Christ could be seen, obviously. Christ could be touched. He was. Christ could be handled. We, we see Jesus eating food and drinking. There were a lot of witnesses that saw that happen. And all those things pointing to him having a body. Number seven, after his resurrection, Christ himself gives testimony to the truth of his bodily resurrection. Read Revelation 1, for example. Jesus talks about his body. It wasn't a spirit, it wasn't just a soul, but a body. But another truth that, uh, that needs to be made here is that Christ's body was more than just a mere natural body. Okay? It wasn't just a spirit or a soul. It wasn't just a body. It was, there was something a little bit unique about this that you and I can't do. Remember in John chapter 20, disciples were in that room? Jesus walks through a locked door without opening the door. He just walks through the door or the wall or whatever. He had that ability that you and I don't have. His body was not just a mere natural body. Christ's resurrection body was immortal. By the way, his current body can't die. (laughs) He is the resurrection and the life. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He will never die again. He's done that once, and He never needs to do it again. Hebrews is clear. It was a once-for-all sacrifice. There's a lot of evidence for Christ's re- resurrection in the Bible. Let's talk about this. What evidences are there for Christ's resurrection? Number one, Christ appeared. We see in Matthew or sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, He appeared at least to 500 witnesses after His resurrection. Look what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. It says, And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, so twelve disciples. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, at that time anyway, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, unborn, he appeared also to me. That's Paul. For I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. So over five hundred witnesses saw the, this bodily resurrection or the a, a resurrected body of Jesus. By the way, there's a lot of effects that have to have a cause. And when you have these effects showing the cause, it all is pointing to a, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about these effects. Number one, there's an empty tomb. The empty tomb was an effect of something, a cause. You say, but what, what caused that tomb to be empty? Well, it's clear, isn't it? The tomb was empty because Christ had risen. The, the resurrection of Jesus was the cause of this effect of the empty tomb. Number two, there was the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost there, and what caused the events of that day of Pentecost when remember Peter was preaching, thousands were saved, Holy Spirit came upon these people. Well the year when Christ rose Pentecost saw the, the descent of the Holy Spirit as Christ had promised. Remember, Jesus said, when I go, I'm going to send this helper, the, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Apostle Peter attributed in his, his sermon there at Pentecost, he attributed the coming of the Holy Spirit to the fact that the risen Christ sent the Holy Spirit. So the coming of the Spirit is the effect. What's the cause of that effect? It's a risen Christ. Number three, have you ever thought about this? The the day that believers and Christians worship changed. We don't obey that fourth. What is it? The fourth commandment talks about keeping the Sabbath day holy. We don't do that anymore. Why? Christ never repeated that command. He did all the other nine of the ten commandments, but we worship on this. What's called the the Bible calls it the Lord's day or. We see in the Scriptures that first day of the week is Sunday. What caused the day of worship to change? These were good Jews. The Sabbath was something very important to them. What, what caused it to change? If most of the first Christians were Jews, this is an important matter. Well, what changed, what was the cause of that was Christ's resurrection. He arose on Sunday morning. It's, it's, it's a continual celebration that, Christ has accomplished every time we come and gather together to, to worship on Sunday mornings, we are commemorating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they changed their day of worship to Sunday because of Christ's resurrection on Sunday. That was the cause. Well, the, the church itself is also, an, an effect, it is a result of the cause of Christ's resurrection. Of course, the church is something that's grand, it's noble, it's, it's a good institution that Christ has created. And you think about it, what would the world be like without the church? And where did this institution come from anyway? We know uh, it has an effect, it has a, and a cause, and it, it all comes from Jesus. He is the chief cornerstone, he is, that, he is, he is the head. And so when Christ appeared to discourage disciples thereafter after his resurrection, what did he do? He revived their faith. These guys were discouraged, cowardly, running, hiding, and they went forth believing in a risen Lord. They preached about His life, His burial, His death, and His resurrection. It changed their life, and they turned the world right side up. Well, at least to start with. And so people believed the the teachings of these guys. They were willing to die for this truth. If it was a lie, they would have they wouldn't have been willing to die for that, would they? No, I don't think so. So the church is an effect of Christ's resurrection. Think about this. the New Testament as well is an effect of Christ's resurrection. If Christ had remained buried in this borrowed tomb, the story of his death and his his life would that have ever been written down? Would those guys have bothered to write down about some liar, or lunatic, who, who died on a cross? I don't think they would have done that. We would not have had this wonderful record we call the New Testament without the effect of Christ's resurrection. Well, the doctrine of Christ's resurrection is of great significance. Always has been. So let's talk, why Why is this important? Even to us today, why is this important? Number one, Christ's resurrection ensures regeneration for believers. So so here's the first truth, regeneration. Regeneration. What, What does that mean, though? What is regeneration? Well, here's what it is, theologically speaking. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit working in us. He is creating a new life. In sinful people, when they repent and they come and put their faith and they believe in Jesus. The Bible says Holy Spirit regenerates us. He makes us new creatures. The old passes away. Behold, all things become new. I want you to see what what Peter says in regard to this connection of how Christ's resurrection ensures regeneration. He puts the two together here in 1 Peter 1, verse 3 which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again, or regenerated, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The only way you and I can be regenerated, can be born again to this living hope, is because Christ arose. And because He also died. But in this verse, Peter explicitly is connecting Christ's resurrection with a Christian's regeneration, a a Christian's new birth in Christ. There is a connection. So when Christ rose from the dead, he had a new quality of, of life. He had a human body, but it was not the same exactly as it was before his death. This body, this human body of Jesus was perfectly suited for fellowship and obedience to God forever. This body was was, uh, able and and willing to, to ascend to heaven, to dwell with God the Father. In His resurrection, Jesus earned for us a new life, just like His. However, we don't receive all of that new resurrection life now, do we? We're not exactly like Jesus yet. As 1 John says, when we see Him, we will be made like Him. But we're not there yet, are we? Our bodies remain as they were, even though we are regenerated because of Jesus. And so it's it's through His resurrection that Christ earned for us this new kind of life that we receive when we're born again, when we're made new creatures. Look how Paul says it in Ephesians 2, verse 5. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He, Jesus, made us, or God, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him. You see that? There's a connection between your new birth, your regeneration, and Jesus' resurrection. So, This doctrine has great significance for us. Number one, because it ensures regeneration for believers. And number two, it also ensures justification for believers. Again, what's justification? Let's make sure we're clear on this. Justification. The idea is it's a legal declaration. It's it's like a, a judge saying, you are no longer guilty, in fact, you're innocent. It's a legal declaration. It's... You're not guilty, but you are now righteous before God. God has declared you to be righteous, even though you're still a sinner. What a glorious truth. I I just love that, because I know I'm still a sinner. I sin every day of my life. But I live in this justification. It's a position. I stand in this position, in this truth. Despite the fact that, I love that, that song, before the throne of God, verse 2, I think it is. You know, Satan, he comes, he tempts me to despair. He tells me of the guilt within. But what do I do? I Upward, I look and see him there. Jesus. I see Jesus there. The one who made an end to all my sin. I have been declared not guilty. And also, I gain Christ's righteousness. And so with that in mind, I want you to see what Romans 4, verse 25 says here. It says that Christ was delivered up for our trespasses. But notice it also says He was raised for our justification. Christ was raised for our justification. So His resurrection ensures your position, that you are righteous. You have this right standing, in other words, before God. And so when God looks at you, He doesn't see a sinner. He sees Christ in you. Just if you keep meditating on that for a while, you're going to get blown away, and I suggest you do that. And so, but anyway, when Christ was raised from the dead, what is what was God doing there? He was showing His approval of Christ's sacrifice. It's showing that the work, yes, it was finished finally, once and for all. So, by raising Christ from the dead, God the Father was in effect saying, "My son, I approve." I approve. Wrath has been propitiated. It's been absorbed. His work was completed. Christ no longer had any need to remain dead because it was finished. There was no penalty that, that was left to pay for sin because Christ paid the penalty of sin. By the way, what's that? The wages of sin is death. There was no wrath of God that needed to be bared because Jesus bore God's wrath. There was no more liability for punishment because, I love what Romans 8, one says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so all had been completely paid. That's why that hymn we sing is so precious. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. His precious blood did that completely paid for, there's no guilt remaining. So even our shame, our guilt, was placed on Jesus. So in the resurrection, God was then saying to Christ, and and really the whole world for that fact, that, that He was approving of what had been done, and that He was finding favor in His Son and His work. And so this explains how Paul here, can say that, that Jesus was raised for our justification. If God raised us up with Jesus, then guess what? <laughs> By virtue of our union with Christ, that God declares, uh, or He made a declaration of approval. He approved His Son's work on our behalf. Number three. So we've, we've already seen number one, number one. It ensures regeneration, number two, it ensures justification, this right standing with God. but number three, Christ's resurrection ensures that believers will receive perfect resurrection bodies, and you you, you know what? <laughs> you will be immortal, immortal. Here's how the Bible puts it in 1 corinthians six fourteen: God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Well, that's well, that's awesome. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 now, which says, Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. I hope you realize at the moment you're not able to bear God's presence. That would be the most frightening thing if, if somehow you were able to go to heaven Now, in this body that you have at the moment, you would be utterly consumed. It would be a fearful thing to dwell in God's presence. You could not handle it. It would be frightening. But our bodies are going to be glorified. They're going to be changed like Jesus' body so that you can then dwell in God's presence. And so the most extensive discussion of the connection between Christ's resurrection and our own here is found in 1 Corinthians 15. I encourage you to meditate upon these truths here. But uh, I just want to point out something. Look at 1 Corinthians 15:20. We don't have time to do the whole chapter justice. No way. But look at verse 20, because Paul says that Christ... Well, look what he says about Christ. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised... From the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. By the way, you understand, I hope. Fallen asleep just means you're dead. <laughs> okay. To God, it's, it's, you're, you're dead, but you're gonna, you're gonna rise. You're gonna wake up from this. It's only temporary. <clears throat> okay. He, he is called the first fruits. And by the way, in calling Christ the first fruits here, Paul is using this metaphor that, that the, the Jews of that day would have understood. It's an agricultural term. It indicates that we are going to be like Christ. We're going to be like Christ. We're going to be made new. Number four, Christ's resurrection assures us of something else here. It assures that believers have an interceding high priest. You have a high priest interceding for you right now as we speak. You did yesterday and the day before that, and you will always have this high priest. Look at what Romans 8:34 says, who is to condemn? Question mark. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, for Christians, for believers. He's there. And so when Satan comes and he tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, recognize you have someone who who is greater and more powerful than Satan. And he can go on speaking even things that are true about you, by the way, and me, because there's plenty of sin and dirt that he can drag up before God. But you know what Jesus says? You You ever played a game where you have a trump card? A card game where you have a trump card and you it's the trump card is greater than all your other cards, and you just love throwing that card down on the table, and and everybody else on on you know sitting around the table is like, oh, beat me with the trump card. Right? Well, this is Jesus, man. He just he lays himself down. He's the trump card. And there's nothing greater. He just destroys everything out there. <laughs> Which is good news because you and I stand in need of daily forgiveness. And so the accusations of Satan need to be answered. Just like Job. You remember reading in Job? Satan goes and accuses Job of all sorts of things before God. And, you know, Satan's still doing that sort of stuff today for you. And so you need an advocate, you need someone who is interceding for you who is greater than Satan who is greater than even the truths that he might be sharing. And so the good news is we do have one who is a high priest who prays constantly for us that our faith will not fail. Well, how can we apply the truth of Christ's resurrection to our lives? Well, after this very long discussion in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul ends with some applications. So look at the last verse in the whole entire chapter, which is all about the resurrection. Look at this application, verse 58, which says, Therefore, when you see a therefore, you ask, what is that therefore? Well, it's it's there because of all this glorious truth of the resurrection. Here's the truth for you, if you're a believer. It says, My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And So the first application, if you are a believer, is this. That because Christ was raised from the dead, we should continue steadfastly in the Lord's work. There is work for us to do. And we need to continue steadfastly in that. And you say, well, what is the Lord's work anyway? Well, some people limit it to evangelism. By the way, evangelism is only a portion of the Lord's work. I hope you understand that. Yes, you are to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You are to tell of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. But it includes more than that, and that's why Jesus in Matthew 28 talks about making disciples. So it goes beyond evangelism. It includes the growth of believers as well, so that they would know Christ what what Jesus said and that they would grow into maturity that they would glorify God with their lives as well and so we 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 could talk about other things as well but it certainly starts there so continue steadfastly in the lord's work number 2 our second application is this because Christ was raised from the dead we should focus on our future heavenly reward we know there is one we know we're going to be resurrected Because Christ was. Paul saw the resurrection as a time when all these struggles of life, (laughs) you know, it's going to be repaid, it's going to be gone. It will be worth it all, as the song says, when we see Jesus. So set your mind on heaven. That's what Paul mentions here in Colossians chapter 3. And notice he mentions. Uh, In the very first verse, Colossians 3, verse 1, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, is that true? You, You could say it this way. Since you have been raised with Christ, literally that's what it means, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You see that? There's a connection. Because of the glorious truth that Christ is alive, He arose, <laughs> well, we need to get our minds off this earth. Don't just focus on the cares of this world, your, your life. There's things that are bigger and better to dwell on. So focus on your future heavenly reward, which of course would include Christ, His dwelling with Him, and perfection there in heaven. Number three, because Christ was raised from the dead, we need to stop yielding to sin. Stop yielding to sin in your life. You don't have to obey the old master anymore. That's the old master. You have a new one. If you're in Christ... You have, a, you have a new king. It's King Jesus. And he's a good master. Romans says, uh, in fact, uh, Romans 6, we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. It's a key phrase in Romans 6. It's repeated several times. Dead to sin, but alive to God. And so that is, that is by virtue of Christ's resurrection that's possible. And the power that is within us, which, of course, is the Holy Spirit. It's the only way that's possible. And, and after the Bible says that in verse 11, I want you to see there's a therefore in verse 12. Romans 6, verse 12 has a therefore. Because you're dead to sin and alive to God, therefore, look at verse 12, Romans 6, 12, Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. To make you obey their passions, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. My friend, you have been bought with a price. <laughs> Your body doesn't belong to you. You belong to God. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, your entire being. Glorify Him. Give the right opinion of God. What opinion are you giving of God? Think about that. <laughs> if you're obeying the old master, your flesh, this world, and and Satan, if you're obeying that and, and saying, hey, I can't help myself. You know, Satan made me do it, or whatever your excuse may be. What opinion of God are you giving? My friend, be careful. We, we must give the right opinion of God. We serve King Jesus. If we're believers, He is the Master. He's a good Master. One who is very able and willing to help us in our time of need as well. well May God help us to understand these truths and live these truths by His grace and His power.